What's up, Video Landers? I'm your host, Scary Gary Mech, and with me tonight is the Diabolical Dr. Diamond Doug. Quadruple D. I've upgraded you, Doug. Quick reminder, you can find us on AdventuresInVideoLand.com or on our Facebook page at Adventures in Video Land. We are critics with attitude. You know, in many of the AV podcasts, you'll hear some bad language. That's not really our style, so we'll try to keep this PG-13. You know, artful nudity and maybe some mild potty words. Uh, no more than that. Also, spoiler alert, if you don't want tonight's movie ruined, pause this episode, go back, watch the movie, and come back later. Alright, tonight we'll be talking about Pantheon nomination number six, Young Frankenstein, nominated by Matthew Wade with guest voter Andrew Brandon Carroll. Before we get to any of that, let's chat about Pantheon. Dr. Diamond Duck, sure. diabolical Dr. Yes. Diamond Duck, what is Pantheon in your own words? Sure. Pantheon uh, is movies that are, we've used the term essential viewing before, but we also uh, like to refer to it as movies that hit on all the cylinders by all the things that you would measure a movie by, whether it's acting, whether it's directing, cinematography, the score, special effects. It's just a movie that is a cut above the rest, and uh, it, it's great and beyond great. How about that? And, yeah, and something we're learning this year, uh, this season on Pantheon, it is also movies that maybe come from a different angle, that come from a different direction. Uh, it's maybe a surprise of a movie, you know, and we'll be talking about that tonight. Uh, movies that have been nominated this season uh, that did or didn't make Pantheon, but were close. So uh, let's uh, let's chat about that. Last time, we uh, we talked about the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, and we've talked about some other movies. Uh, let's run down the list from this season. Doug. Sure, starting from the beginning that we've looked at: Dear Zachary, Boogie Nights, Pink Floyd, The Wall, Miami Connection, and then, as you said this last time, Life Aquatic. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. So, uh, how did they do? How did uh, Dear Zachary... Again, so 2 out of 11, there was a vote, a no vote on Dear Zachary. All right. 6 out of 11 on Boogie Nights. It almost made it. Relatively split decision. We thought, I think, at least I said it was going to make it. You said no, uh, but that was a split decision with That's the council. That's correct. Uh, Pink Floyd the Wall was 3 out of 11. And Miami Connection, very similar to Boogie Nights, was 6 out of 11. Mm-hmm. And we were split on that one as well. Yep. And then The Life Aquatic, uh, last episode, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou is a Wes Anderson film, and how did it do? Well, it got 9 out of 11 votes, which is exactly what we called in our last episode, companion episode. Like, we nailed it yeah, no, 100%. We I, called that one. I would love to support you on this one, but that is the opposite of what we called, we thought it wouldn't yeah. make it. Yeah, let's be honest. We said maybe four or five votes. Yeah. And, and, and I'll be honest, that, uh, and we didn't think it would get in. Uh, partially, I would say, because while we watched it independently, that both of us independently came to a conclusion that we didn't. it wasn't our cup of tea, that I we didn't like right. it. So when we were chatting, it was hard uh, to get past uh, our own personal bias that others might enjoy it more than we did. I think that's true. And not only that, but uh, while we, the things that we liked, they liked, but those things that we liked, we didn't feel were enough to make it uh, into Pantheon, but they thought were. So that just kind of shows you that while a movie may or may not be to everyone's taste, 
some of the things you did like are the things that someone else thinks completely overwhelms any negatives. Yeah, and that's the uh, interesting thing about Pantheon is that it's a council vote. It's not just me. It's not just you. It's not just one well, person out there. Who's it could made, just be me. It could be. Like, your taste is impeccable, I, my friend of friends. Absolutely it impeccable. Is. If they just let me vote, we would, like, eh, you know, actually that would suck. Because, to be honest with you, I, I actually, now that I think about it, I really like the fact that the different backgrounds, uh, uh, cultures, experiences of all the council members are what make this Pantheon vote really kind of carry some weight behind it, you know? Sure. And it's not just people in the industry voting on the industry. To circle back, just to make sure uh, if this is your first time listening or that then you're wondering about Pantheon and the way that it works is that there's nine members of, on the council uh, that this council changes regularly, but there's nine members on the council who have to watch the movie and then do a write-up. 500 words. And write up a 500-word thing on it. And then also, in addition to those nine, that there there's a Facebook poll, which yep. counts as a vote, and then there is a representative from the Facebook world that is the guest voter, and they also have their own vote. So there's 11 votes total, mm-hmm. and that you need two-thirds majority or a seven votes out of the 11 possible right. for a movie to move up to Pantheon. Which is why Boogie Nights and Miami Connection, while they got six of the possible 11... They didn't quite make it. They needed one more vote each to actually get in. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou got nine from 11, which is yeah. more than enough to get in. It did very well. Only two no votes. and uh, But it made it. And it is in the halls of glory right now. Pantheon. Pantheon. There is, uh, so in the history of Pantheon, there are a number of movies that are quite are considered quite classic movies. Yes, there are. Like Silence of the Lambs. That Breakfast didn't, Club. Yeah, Breakfast Club. Uh, others that didn't get kicked up um, that many people would consider classic movies. Great movies. However, the council decided uh, collectively, like through the voting process, right. that they didn't want to kick them up. That doesn't mean that they can't ever go up for a vote again. It also doesn't mean the council thinks they're bad movies. You'd That's have to right. actually read the write-ups to understand that it's entirely possible that, let's say, The Silence of the Lambs, just for one example, and uh, that, that every single member of the council may have had elements of that movie that they loved, but not enough of them thought it was Pantheon to actually get in. Yeah, and they use a star system uh, for this, uh, for, for for looking at movies, a star rating system where one is, one star a one-star movie is completely ugly, two is bad, you might recommend it, but only as a bad movie, three is good, like it's a good movie, you recommend it, The uh, like uh, for me, I like um, uh, Hot Tub Time Machine. I loved Hot Tub Time yeah, Machine. It's a, it's fun! A, it's a good movie, but... In terms of Pantheon, it might only just get a three yeah. out of five on, on that. Um, that four is a great movie. Like they say, watch this as soon as possible. And four, even though it's great and watch it as soon as possible, is not considered Pantheon. Five is Pantheon strongly belongs in a list of the greatest films of all time. And The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou is in that list. That is correct. All right, so let's let's talk for a minute. The movie we're talking about this week is um, Young, Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein. I'm sorry, Frankenstein. Uh, Frederick Frankenstein, to be specific. But yes, Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein's a Mel Brooks uh, vehicle. We'll talk more about the movie. But here's the thing 
that I wanted to chat about before we get into the movie itself. And that is comedies. Comedies. Yep. One person can watch a comedy, The Life Aquatic, uh, with Steve Zissou. One person can watch a comedy, and the same person could watch Young Frankenstein or or uh, Blazing Saddles or some other comedy. Uh, and 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 they just feel completely differently about each one of these movies. So the question I have is, are comedies really something that's more subjective? Subjective. What do you think? Oh, I I absolutely think that that comedy and humor is subjective. This is part of one of my areas of study personally. That's why I'm asking you, Doctor yeah, Doug. The uh, that that I study the nature of humor and humor theory, and certainly uh, comedy is something that is subjective. I I I like. I don't think necessarily that you couldn't say other movies aren't subjective. Action movies, no, beautiful movies, are. drama. Um, that all of those things are going to have some sort of personal connection. So they, all of them will be subjective, but definitely humor is a thing that is a personal taste. Something that I saw you, uh, ch- I heard you chat about one time before, and I just wonder if you could like, maybe like condense it down to like a short version. This is the, you see a picture of a pig in a sweater. Oh yeah. And one person is like, that's the funniest thing ever. And somebody sure. else is like. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes when I'm talking about the nature of humor is that you've got three people who see a pig in a sweater and the first person thinks that pigs are like kids and they should be dressed in clothes. And when they see, if they saw a pig in a sweater, they would say, that is the most natural thing that I've ever seen. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, challenge them. It doesn't, it's not humorous. It is natural. Normal. Because they would expect it. Right. Um, so like all the characters in say Animal Farm, who are pigs, who are wearing clothes to the other pigs, they're like, oh, naturally they would wear pigs. Uh, not wear pigs, they would wear clothes. But pigs wearing pigs is a different thing. That's like An- they have leather. Another person sees that same pig in a sweater and and they don't think pigs are like kids, so they see a pig in a sweater and they laugh and uh, and they, they think it's comical. The third person sees a pig in a sweater and is reminded of the sweater-wearing pig that killed their grandpa, and they find uh, they find it tragic. Like I mean, we we could laugh about that Offensive scenario, even. yeah. Um, we as outside observers might go, "That's ridiculous," but for that person who has that personal connection to an actual tragic event mm-hmm. that is triggered by this, that they're not going to find it funny at all, but they're going to find it find it offensive. Offensive, yeah. yeah. And they might not even realize why they find it offensive. And it might not be offensive to them in a, in a like, I'm going to, if they're watching it in a movie, I'm going to stop this movie now. But they're just like, the joke's not funny. Yeah. And so maybe even that even damages or, or pushes down their mood to be receptive to the next joke or the next joke or the next joke. Yeah, so like uh, like not not to jump the gun on anything, right. but but if we brought in young Frankenstein yeah. as an example that there's some people who are going to uh, see the jokes that play in young Frankenstein and um, the the jarring juxtapositions that are used to make comedy mm-hmm. don't do anything because they just like they're not a, they for whatever reason for them personally it just doesn't trigger any sort right. of uh, like comedic effect right. on on the one end some people are going to see the stuff and they see a gag and they're like oh that's hilarious and some people honestly will watch this movie and be offended because they're talking about schwanstuckers right. and knockers and, right. and whatever else. Yeah, and a lot of the jokes, you know, maybe about sex or body parts or 
or about death, and 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 then they just they just don't find that. Yeah, I saw a comment in some sort of thread that I was reading on, on this where somebody said, "Oh, I loved this movie," and then I was like, "I'm going to show it to my kids." Because I saw it a long time ago, and then they showed it to their younger kids, and they were like, I forgot how many jokes were about sex in this movie. And I yeah. felt kind of horrified while I was watching it that I was showing this to my kids. Right. Yeah. Um, not my experience, but that was that was one person's take on it. Well, the reality is, getting into the movie really quick, that, that or getting into the movie in this part, that, that Young Frankenstein is a PG movie. Yep. PG. came out in 1974. Uh, it is a comedy slash Parody. They are parodying the classic monster movie. Yep. They even filmed it in black and white, though it came out in '74. They could have done it in color. It could have been, you know, the whole the whole deal. But the 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 idea, the the inspiration behind this was the classic monster movie. So, and we could talk about some of those details in a little bit. But they like went all out to make yep. it a classic monster movie and to parody some of the elements from that. It's directed by Mel Brooks. Actually written by primarily Gene Wilder, but also Mel Brooks. And uh, it came out uh, December 15th, 1974. Ran about hour and 25, hour and 45 minutes, sorry. And on 20th Century Fox. 20th Century Fox, because it was originally going to go to Columbia, but yes. then they didn't want to pitch in for the budget. They didn't so, want to pitch in for making a black and white that's movie right. with handheld cameras, no steady cam. With all of basically shooting it like an old-fashioned movie, they didn't want to do it. Yeah. But then 20th Century Fox came in and said, well, here's the money. And then off they went. That's right. Uh, off with 20th Century Fox. They based the storyline on the Frankenstein monster, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein monster. Uh, and the uh, synopsis of the movie is that the grandson of the infamous Dr. Frankenstein... Frankenstein <laughs> is in fact he's so object he so objects to the fact that he's in the family that he re- he says his name is Frankenstein but anyway Frankenstein reluctantly decides to follow in the footsteps in this parody of horror films that is from Metacritic that's a very short synopsis but yeah. that's that's basically the outline for the movie all right so let's talk about ratings a little bit so it came out in 74. How was it? Re- uh, how is it received in general? Doug? Okay, so IMDb gives it eight out of ten. That Metacritic has it at an eighty out of a hundred, with eight positive, one mixed, and one negative review. That's uh, so. Life Compare Aqu- that to Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic was at sixty-two. All right, and then Rotten Tomatoes has it at ninety-three percent fresh, with ninety-two percent of the audience liking the movie. Google has it at generally they say ninety-three percent. So just in contrast. Uh, the Life Aquatic, um, and I'm not trying to compare this movie to that one. I'm just contrasting with this, extending this conversation on comedy that we just had. Yeah. Uh, the Life Aquatic did not have an overwhelming positive. It was almost a 50-50 blend or a flip-flop 60-40 blend. 60-40. Which, 60-40. incidentally, when you looked back, if you looked back on the Facebook poll of those who said yes to those who said no. Yes was 40%. The, the, that the no, wa- no was 40 Forty percent. Uh, yes, was sixty percent. So it, it it wasn't split down the middle. Ah, uh, yes. Well, uh, if you if you look at the yeses and nos, yes sixty, no forty. If you look at all the votes, it was like forty forty twenty for yeah. the nos, yeses, and I I haven't watched it. Yeah, and that that is uh, uh, compared to, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's like sixty eight yes to two no yes. right now for Young Frankenstein. It's overwhelmingly yes at this point on on the Facebook poll. And again, you know, for those of you listening, the Facebook poll is you. 
you go vote on the Facebook poll. Yep, you. Doug and I will do that tonight uh, as we were, as we do the recording. But um, your your vote, your overwhelming yes or no, is one of eleven votes for whether this movie makes it into Pantheon. So we get a vote. Yes. Get out there and vote. Vote on the Pantheon uh, for Young Frankenstein. All right, let's talk about some reviews. Uh, Roger Ebert and his crew gave it four out of four stars. Mel Brooks is home with Young Frankenstein, his most disciplined and visually inventive film, which also happens to be very funny. Young Frankenstein is as funny as we expect a Mel Brooks comedy to be, but it's more than that. It shows artistic growth. Now, this movie came out after Blazing Saddles. That is correct. So they're they're talking about not just from Blazing Saddles, but in general. Uh, this movie shows artistic growth and a more sure-handed control of the material by a director who once seemed willing to do literally anything for a laugh. You mean like uh, farting green beans at the, uh, or farting baked beans at the fireside. Which was hilarious. I thought so too. Also hilarious is to watch it on its TV edit when they do the farting scene with no sound. <laughs> and all the guys start laughing. Yeah. 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 Um, from Metacritic, that one of the, uh, so a TV guide, just a staff writer, had said Brooks' most accomplished work, combining his well-known brand of comedy with stylish direction and uniformly excellent cast. The 80s Village Voice, uh, that's Andrew Saris. The 80, it's an 80 vote from the oh, Village Voice. pardon me. Yeah. An 80 vote. I was like, who's the 80s Village Voice? I don't know them. Yeah, no. The Village Voice gave it an 80. <clears throat> that's Andrew Saris. Says, longer on charm and cheer than on humor of knee-pounding hilarity, the funniest film of the season by default. Similar in the same same level of score from the New Yorker, Pauline Kale or Kyle. Uh, it isn't a dialogue comedy. It's visceral and lower. It's it's what used to be called crazy comedy, and there hasn't been this kind of craziness on screen for years. Um, and then there was one negative from Metacritic uh, that that popped out as well, and that was a thirty. That's from a Time 30. Out London. A staff writer said, by and large, a rather pitiful parody of the Universal Frankenstein movies, taking typically Brooksian liberties with characters and plot, resorting to juvenile mugging, and relying to a great extent on fairly authentic sets and photography for its better moments. Fairly authentic sets. Interesting comment. We'll talk about that yeah. a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. They were... <laughs> well, anyway, we'll move on to that one. Uh, so this this uh, this uh, uh, Hollywood reporter said, uh, it's good-natured, lowbrow, backlot, hit-or-miss humor, but with no cumulative effect beyond a succession of hard-worked jokes. Yeah, that was, that was one of uh, a handful. There was mostly... Po- that's from Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. That's mostly positive comments, but that was one example of one of the negative ones. There's some examples of just general people who had commented... Uh, uh, from this is Metacritic uh, on the Metacritic site. So um, Spangle, that's Sp- that's their name. Spang- that's his Spangle. I know Spangle. He's you, a great, you know, he's a great yeah, guy. No, yeah. If Spangle, if you're listening, I'm, I'm reading your stuff. We love a him. goofy and silly Mel Brooks spoof on Frankenstein and Gothic humor. Young Frankenstein is obviously a classic in the genre and one of those films that everybody should see at least once. That was a, a seven out of ten. And what's the other one there? Uh, 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 
Uh, Vectus. Vectus 99, yeah. Young Frankenstein has many few has few funny moments, but overall, a lot of crudity of the movie makes it an uncomfortable experience. So that tests back to you know someone who's like, yeah, I I I decided to show this movie to my kids, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, you know they they just had sex, like they're laying in the bed. Yeah. There's no sex in the movie, but post. And they're laying there, and then you know they have to you know deal deal with the situation. Well, why are they there? All right. From our own adventures in video land page on Facebook, we've got some quotes. Uh, quotes. Chris, Chris Switzer. Uh, if this isn't pantheon worthy, I really don't understand what makes something pantheon worthy. Joe Cavelli says a thousand times yes. My stepdad showed this to me for the uh, showed me this one for the first time when I was a kid. He passed away in February. We're very sorry for your loss, Joe. He passed away in February due to cancer, but I always think of him when I watch it. Yeah, and Giselle Butler said, "Absolutely, you bet your ass it does." One of, one of I po- yeah, I apologize for the po- that was a mild potty word that we were talking about. But it's Giselle's words, yeah. so it's fine. Yeah. Thank you, Giselle, for your one for of your my post. favorite films. I went to see this last fall during its throwback feature run at my theater, and it looked even better on the big screen. Such a classic. By the way, I read that post and I thought to myself, "Man." Wouldn't it be great if we could work out to go watch each of these Pantheon nominations in the theater on a big screen? Yeah. Not just like a projector. I have a projector at home. Not just like that, but like literally in the theater. It would be amazing. So on my own, uh, so Mr. Miggity Mac, yes, on sir. my own page that I had just asked a question, does it belong, does Young, you did. Young Frankenstein belong in a list of greatest movies? And there was a lot of, you know, there was the standard comments of like, absolutely love it. Yes. It's, it's great. Or, through and through. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of those, but then there was a couple. A couple of comments said, "You know what? It's a classic movie, but I wouldn't put it in a greatest film list." Right, greatest film list because it's a classic movie. They might have good memories of it or good feelings about watching it, but they don't consider it the greatest of all time. Yeah, and that's one of the things that uh, people like in conversations that we've had about Pantheon, conversations right. that we've had with Brad about Pantheon right. and, and others, is that. There are occasional times where you have a movie that has such strong nostalgic value that people are reacting to their nostalgia of it rather than a fresh watching right. of the film with uh, you know with neutral blank eyes just yes. to kind of like take in the movie for what it is and and divorced from the the nostalgia. Yes. Um, uh, I think that's that that's an interesting th- uh, an interesting take on. Well, and that, that addresses the, the you know the question from Chris Chris Switzer. He's like, if this isn't pantheon worthy, I don't understand what makes something pan, pantheon worthy. You know, uh, well, what makes something pantheon worthy really comes down to the person who's voting on whether it's pantheon worthy. I mean, you know, Miami Connection got six yes votes, and yeah. some people would be like, "What the heck?" And other people are like, "Uh, yeah, absolutely." And that's a part of what makes it so cool. It's like, yeah. it's not what I think. It's not what you think. I think what I think. You think what you think. And the person viewing the movie has their own. Yeah, and it's and so, and it's based on a council vote. One could make some sort of like critical claim about whether or not the council is representative of the population at large okay. or if it's or if it ha- is too homogenous as a group you could like like those are other discussions but still it is still a council vote it is um uh at, at least a uh um uh 
a like a, a, a slice of, of the people who are in the adventures in video land a world. Cross section. That's of the, the word the I was looking AV for. Family. That's right. Like you and I represent a tiny little sliver. Very small, like a sliver, puff of smoke, like minuscule. All right. So moving without diminishing my feelings anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk about receipts. Domestic gross. This movie made eighty-six million. A little over eighty-six million two hundred seventy-three thousand. Uh, don't have numbers for this foreign gross. I how assume. Much, how much did it cost to make it? Cost two point eight million dollars to make it. So they made a lot of money on they this made, film. Let me do the carry the bed. They made like yeah, get the a chalkboard dollars, yeah. a little over twenty six, eighty eighty four million dollars in profit yeah. on this one. So good on you, Fox, because you apparently picked up a wiener right there. Yeah. Our butts and seats index in nineteen seventy four. The average ticket price was a dollar eighty seven. So just doing some quick little math in my head. That means that forty six point one million domestic actually went to see this movie so compare compare that to blazing saddles their same year same year same director some of the same actors yep uh 1974 their domestic gross 119 million five hundred thousand so it made quite a bit more yeah money wise 30 30 30 million dollars more with the same ticket price, same than ticket the PSI price, of that one, sixty-three point nine, almost sixty-four million people saw yeah. it. So forty-six to sixty-four. Fun fact about this is that Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein for nineteen seventy-four were the number one and number three highest domestic grossing films. Good on you, Mel Brooks. Yeah, Gene Wilder. Yeah, holy smoky. So yeah, he had a good year. They in had 1974. a great year. Spaceballs, 1987, domestic gross, 38119000 I, by the way, was potentially a half million dollars of that. Just I saw Spaceballs <laughs> so many times in the theater. Uh, average ticket price was $3.91. Now, remember, this is 13 years later, so ticket prices jumped a little bit. Butts and seats index, 9.6 million people, compared to 46 million for Young yeah. Frankenstein. Spaceballs. And 64 million yeah. for Blazing Saddles. Spaceballs. Yeah, so uh, I, I threw in this uh, in our receipts comparisons here the uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the one with Robert De Niro from nineteen ninety four. Ninety four version, that's right. Yeah, just to see how does it compare with right. other Frankenstein movies. Right. So the domestic gross on that was twenty two million. Right. That was in ninety four with an average ticket price of four dollars and eighteen cents with a butts and seats of just five point three million people. So. Just just to recap real quickly, 5 million people saw the 1994 Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with top stars in that movie. Uh, 46 million saw a, a young Frankenstein. 64 million, I'm rounding a little bit, saw Blazing Saddles. And just under 10 million saw Spaceballs. So, you know, at the time when Mel Brooks was putting out these movies, this seemed to hit yep. Blazing Saddles as well. But this, Mel Brooks seemed to be hitting... Uh, what people were looking for at the time. Yeah, in addition to that, uh, that I, without looking up the numbers, that AFI has a list of like top 100 comedies, and I think that this is uh, n- number 34 on the list or something like Fair that, of, that, they, that they put on their, their, their top list of comedies. Fair enough. Uh, as well. So, uh, Mr. Miggity Matt, yeah. before we move on, I noticed right. that there is something on the table. There's a pile on the table with a big sign on it that says, 
Beware. Yeah, and there is a letter here. From, no, open that. From Matthew Wade. This is the beware sign here. To kind Brad Hawkins. Afraid. I hope this is for us. Is this is for it to us? Brad? It's a letter yeah, to Brad. Right oh, it's here. a letter to us. It says, just a little note. Dear Gary Mack and Diamond Doug, here oh, is some <laughs> here is some Ovaltine for you to <gasps> drink before you retire for the evening. Oh. Please drink it mit warmer cold, whichever you prefer. Oh. Good night, hair doctors from Frau Wilker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's the thing. There's this there's this gag during the movie where Frau Blucher asks whether somebody wants whether uh, Gene, yeah. Gene Wilder's character wants He's, a brandy. Which, yeah. by the way, we're drinking we tonight. Are drinking tonight. Cheers to you. Cheers. There a little we brandy. Go. Thank you very much. And this before we go to bed tonight. By the way, it's in a gigantic garbage bag. Yeah, yeah. The size of. My car. And what was the word that we used for these wonderful gifts that we get from bribes. council bribes. We call them bribes. Bribes from the council members. Ovaltine. Straight up, seriously Ovaltine. There's something else, though, in oh, the gigantic more. garbage. It was lost in there. I couldn't find it's it. Way it's way down deep in the garbage bag. bag. Yeah. Hold on. It's actually several something else. Oh, my it. goodness. Hold on a second. We have these. Oh, yeah. Uh, some little scary knickknacks. Some spooky things Ooh, right hold here. On. Oh, yeah. A cliff bar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hold on, what is this? Maybe because it's on a cliff. Coconut chocolate chip, it says. Uh, Pumpkin Masters, LED pumpkin. These are all like things like you went trick-or-treating. It's our trick-or-treat bag. It is. That we brought home like we went to trick-or-treating. Oh, here we go. What's this one? Emerald dry roasted almonds. Uh, I figured it'd be a toothbrush because there's always that one person in your neighborhood that gives you a toothbrush. Yeah, and then... Like a, a tube of... Is it a glow stick or is it the sweet stuff that not, you... I'm not sure. Uh, it might be a vial of urine. I think it is a straw-shaped tube of orange urine. What have you been eating, it, Matthew? It, it could be. All right, hold on. There's something else in here. Oh, another little scary skull. I really kind of like the skulls. You know, one of I don't know if you're aware of this. One of my brother-in-law's last name is Dead Man. Oh, yeah. And he collects skulls. That's, that, is that is apropos. Alrighty then. Apropos. Sweet. Excellent. These Excellent. are fantastic. It sets the mood. Did in, you ever notice how much a skull looks like a stormtrooper's mask? Oh yeah. Or the other way that. around. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. Side By stars. the way, I, yeah, I have a, this? a Ricola lozenge. Oh. If you get uh, a little parched in you there, know, Transylvania, very is a close. Part yeah. Of what would have been considered Germany at, at the time. That's right. And so they would have spoken German. All righty. Cool. Thank you very much for the bribe. I mean, gifts. We very much appreciate them. And I will absolutely have Ovaltine. I prefer it warm. I don't know what you prefer uh, before bed. But I like a little Ovaltine warm before I go to bed. Okay. Mr. Doug, let's talk about our take. What is the unique elements? What makes this film unique? And what are some of the challenges coming into uh, this? Yeah, so here's one thing that I, w- I want to say. And, and this is kind of like a general observation about this film. Is that I see a very close connection to it, the last nomination. I do too. Is but that, in a mirror. Um, <clears throat> that... Uh, the Life Aquatic and Young Frankenstein share a lot of similar qualities in that 
The Life Aquatic was a love letter to Jacques Cousteau documentaries, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. set in a very specific cinema, cinematographic style that the uh, that it's very stylish and artistic in the way it's presented, as is Young Frankenstein, which is a love letter to the Universal Classic Monster movies, that it has a very specific look, it has a very specific style, that the jokes on the one end, that it that they're, it's a stylistic... It, like it's, I was going to say a stylistic style of joke. Choice. It's a choice, it's, it's a choice for Life Aquatic to do very dry and deadpan mm-hmm. humor. There, where on the other hand, Young Frankenstein is using madcap, madcap, like not quite slapstick, but but like in your face kind of like big humor. Yeah, and 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 they both have broken characters they that do. are leading the charge. Yes. Like and and. On just a meta level in terms of reaction where you're talking about subjectivity is that there are going to be people like you and I right. who watched Life Aquatic and said, I just, I don't get it, man. Yes. I just don't get it. It doesn't resonate with me. And there's going to be people on the other hand who watch, and I've talked to them and I've read stuff and yep. I know that there's going to be council members who are like this, right. who look at Young Frankenstein and said, I, I just don't get, don't get it. And like you said, it took me three hours to get through this two yeah. hour movie. Uh, life Aquatic. <clears throat> and there's going to be, and because like you, you just got bored or tired or whatever. Yeah. And there's going to be people who have the same reaction to Young Frankenstein where they're like, I am just bored to freaking tears. Right. Uh, But there's also going to be people who just love it. Yeah. Um, So like, so I see, I see similarities between the the two type right there. So that's uh, some similarities or some connections between the two. But what makes Young Frankenstein unique? Sure. Uh, What I would say in terms of uniqueness is that this film is a meticulous parody. Uh, that they went, they went out of their way to craft a meticulous parody of a style, uh, and uh, they went all in on it. They and by all in, they got the sets from the original Frankenstein and movie, the original and props and props from the 1931 Frankenstein they movie. They shot as well. in the same location. They did a lot of things that were the same. Yeah, and the like the the lighting guys really worked hard on making sure that the that 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 it had a feel that was both similar to the old styles, but also allowed for them to caricaturize it yep. so that it could be so that it could be used for Mel Brooks comedy. Yep. Uh, by by having a juxtaposition or like a chiascuro shading of the back to use so some some use fancy insider term. term. Yeah. I don't know if that's insider or not. The uh, but then to anytime they did close up to to really make the faces light so that they could see a lot of the the facial reactions of the comedy in the way front. that they would have. Yeah, and that they filmed it in black and white in 1974, which was then something that people weren't doing at the time. Yeah, that they that they were so committed to the vision of the film that they left one studio to go to another who would allow them to do it. Yeah, we actually talked about that. That they started with. Yeah, they. I can't remember which United show. Columbia. Columbia. They started with Columbia, and they went to Fox. Yeah, when Columbia realized what they were going to actually be doing, they backed out. Yeah, and Fox stepped up with the money, and bam, there they go. And uh, in the meticulousness of this, that uh, that it allowed for the jokes to stand apart uh, and against 
the straight they were playing it straight with how they filmed the movie with the sets and with the sound and with the lighting and the mood and, mm-hmm. and everything they played that very straight so that they could do crazy stuff with the jokes right right uh, so that the jokes would be highlighted well so if you think about the waypoints of like the the Frankenstein's monster movies right so you think about those those sort of little hallmarks of if you were like to check off yeah. the boxes. Like you've got the you've got the monster, you got the lightning, you got Igor, you got the girl with the flower, you've got the good the blind Samaritan who's yep. helping out. You've and got even, and even jumping forward in the story to to the bride of Frankenstein, yeah. the female that ends up connected to Frankenstein or falling in love with Frankenstein ends up with white streaks in her hair and yep. a big poofy hairdo, and they they went. All the way with those, yeah. you know, the weird little, uh, uh, the weird little uh, 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 lab assistant, uh, Igor, Igor, my bad. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, they they picked up all those characters. Uh, the the raising of the device up to get the lightning to to actually you know bring the monster back to life, bringing them down. Even the oh it failed, and then the monster comes to life a little bit later. Concept from the originals. Those were all there. And that made, in my mind, that made some challenges for them because that, those original movies were not funny. They no. were scary. And to a young person, even this movie might have some scary moments to it where the comedy still stood, was intended to stand aside and stand on its own. Yep. Even though it had this backdrop of this traditional black and white monster movie. All right. So, uh, let's talk... Real deep down in. Let's look at some of the elements. Let's talk for a minute about some of the deep inside jokes. Things that you may have noticed during the movie that you found humorous. That the Maybe there were choices actors made. They might have even been improv pieces. Let's talk about some of those things. What did you notice during the movie? Sure. Well, one of the things that is interesting about this movie is that that Mel Brooks didn't show up in the movie that Mel Brooks was in, that he usually has a, yep. like, At least a, a, cameo. a perfunctory cameo that he's in the film, but as part of how Gene Wilder was setting it up, that he had said, one of the things that I want is that I don't want you in this movie so that, like, you don't... you don't draw away from the film itself. Right. Uh, so they intentionally pulled way back. Um, but that said... I felt like um, Igor's character that was kind of a nod to Mel Brooks. It was kind of like the surrogate Mel Brooks as he was the one who was breaking the fourth wall right. that Mel Brooks would have been breaking otherwise. Right. Mel Brooks would have been winking at us right directly through the camera. Instead, it was Igor who would, at a certain moment, stare directly at the camera and give the viewer that, what the heck, kind of moment uh, or a wink or whatever. Yeah, um, there's there are uh, gags in this film that are uh, relatively low hanging fruit type jokes yep. that we would call them low hanging fruit jokes now. At the time that they were very, uh, it was it was reminiscent of the comedy at the time uh, for sure. And Mel like, Brooks Mel Brooks has re- has um, reflections of Groucho Marx. Sure. In his styling. Yeah, I see that. Um, so, like, lo- throwaway lines like, uh, help me with the bags, and Igor says, uh, sure, you take the blonde, or I'm saying it, I'm sorry, in a Chicago accent, he's like, you take the blonde, and I'll take the one with the toy bin. Right. Uh, uh, Referring the, to the two women, yeah, not the actual luggage. Yeah, or, or, or uh, little jokes like, wow, those knockers, and yeah, then great Terry knockers. Gar says, oh, 
Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, or or walk this way, which is a which is like I can see how some people would love that joke, and I can see how people would hate that joke. Right. Where um, where he says, "Come on, walk this way." That's a joke that my dad would say. Like like if, if ever a waiter or something would would say, "Here, walk this way," and had a certain walk, he would walk that way behind the waiter. Um, what's funny is that when that movie came out, that as far as my memory, although I was young when that movie, when this movie came out, uh, I mean I wasn't even alive <clears throat> when this movie came out. In any case, when I, I first saw this eight, I don't when this movie came out, and not, I was not to I was a date, gleam in my father's eye. Not the, to date myself, but yeah. anyway. So uh, that wasn't like that wasn't a joke. Like people didn't go walk this way and then walk weird, expect now, people to follow. The, but it is now. The joke was so well received by Aerosmith that they recorded a the song, song called "Walk This Way." Yeah, that's that's right. So you know, for me, uh, just touching back on the character of of, of Igor, um, if you watch him during this movie, so you know those of you that are listening to us, if you're willing to go back and kind of flip through the movie again. Just spend a couple of minutes looking at the little things that he does. Uh, he, it's the the focus of the movie is not even on him. He'll say a line, or maybe he'll apologize for something he did wrong, and then immediately he will. He the the, the actor makes this choice to like gently just caress the side of his face for like a half second on Doctor Frankenstein's arm, or uh, finish his sentence, and he finishes it in a voice that sounds like Gene Wilder's voice. But if you watch, Gene Wilder said a thing, pauses. Uh, Terry Gar's like, what? And then Igor finishes the sentence, but it sounds like Gene Wilder said it. And I know the first time I watched this movie, I didn't catch that. But that happens repeatedly. Yeah. And uh, the, those little change, little things that Marty, Marty Feldman, Martin Feldman was doing uh, when, in his character, those, I love that stuff. That's the kind of stuff that, while it's a minor little piece, it's not a part of the storyline, it's almost sort of next to or parallel to what's going on in the movie. I loved that. I kept watching for them and watching for them. And he kept doing more and more of them as they went along. Uh, I, I, w- I feel very confident to say that a, the vast majority of those were improv. He was just throwing it out there and they kept it. Yeah, or, or the scene where uh, Igor bites the head of the, the fox stole that uh, Madeline Kahn is right wearing. He goes, yeah, you you take the blonde and I'll take the one in, then, the, in the turban. Arr, arr, bites the fox stole. Yeah, and they exactly. had to do like eight takes to get it right because they kept cracking up. Uh, now I'll tell you this is that while we were driving over here that one of the things uh, we were chatting about things in the movie and this is not to say that all the all of the jokes flew for me right, right. while I was watching the film that there are, there right. were some of the things that just didn't resonate quite with me um, those the breaking of the fourth wall that I would yeah. that that most of the time I didn't care for those like it was just too much Um that's just my personal taste. Yeah, I liked a lot of the stuff that he did, but there was occasional jokes that. where it was like, "Nah, I'm okay." Well, you know, for me, the, the the elements that I did not like, I actually, as far as the um, the police officer, the the very German police officer with the fake arm, and he kept moving it and had to convert, you know, like position his arm to do this yeah. and this and this. I actually didn't like or get any of that. The whole running joke with him, then his arm was the battering ram to get through the door. It just felt forced, and it was like, yeah, somebody thought this would be funny, and then they just did it for the whole chunk of the movie. I didn't get that. I think, uh, if I recall from having seen something, is that that showed, that was 
that was part of either um, the tryout or it was from a different movie and uh, or a tryout from a different movie and they liked it and Mel Brooks was like, I, I want this in there. I want you to do that. Now, on the other hand... If it had been two or three things, it would have been a funny gag and then done. It was that character's whole bit. Now, what I did like about that character, I did like the act, the in, like the uh, the accent that could not be understood. Yes, I did like that. I did appreciate that, and I liked his cheating at darts. I thought that was pretty funny. Yep, yeah, those are all good things uh, in there. But really, most of that actor, I didn't. I, yeah, yeah, not the actor. Pardon me, the character, the choices they made with that character, not my thing. Yeah, not my thing. The uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Terry Gar. Yeah, I. Uh, first time I watched the movie, didn't really care for Terry Gar's character. I watched it again and paid more attention to her character. And her character was actually a diff. Would for me, if I was Terry Gar playing that character in that movie, that would have been a very difficult character to carry off. I believe she won awards for it, supporting actress and, and a few others. But um, we have that somewhere in our little stack of stuff here. But but the the thing is, is that uh, she had to not only play second fiddle. But but do the the either sometimes she was the straight guy for a yeah, joke yeah. and sometimes she was the punchline for the joke and then, that would have been a tough role to carry. She did, and I uh, you know looking back at it, I think she did great. I don't generally like her in a lot of her stuff to be honest, but but I liked her in this. Um, uh, 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 the girlfriend, uh, Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn. Gosh, why well, can't I remember? Her name. She uh, was. By the way, the Terry Gar wasn't one of the people who had gotten uh, nominations. Oh, for not awards. Terry Gar. All right, Madeline it was Kahn. it was Madeline Kahn and Cloris Leachman. There you go, and Cloris Leachman. So, Frauer Booker. Yeah, M- Madeline Kahn had gotten a uh, a nomination for a Golden Globe Best Supporting Actress. There you go. And Cloris Leachman, even though she was. Really, not the lead that she had gotten a nomination for Golden Globe Best Actress in a Motion wow. Picture, um, and, and I agree with the sentiment, and I think that she is one of the very shining parts of the film itself. But you were saying Madeline Kahn, Madeline Kahn's character. Uh, I actually part with whom we forgot she was even in the movie until she shows up again. Uh, that's right before Marty Feldman makes the joke about you take the blonde and I'll take the one in the turban. Uh, but uh, her character becomes a core part of the storyline once she appears there at the castle and uh, is is not a write-off. She's solidly a part of the story. Uh, but I, I, I thought they sort of just wrote her off as the girlfriend he left behind kind of a deal. Um, but I really liked it. I liked the, the, the bit of a twist where she becomes... Frankenstein's the bride of Frankenstein, basically, um, and uh, and and that's how her her that's how that that part of the relationship all resolves is that Frankenstein ends up Frank Doctor Frankenstein ends up with Terry Gar's character, while the monster ends up with Madeline Kahn's character. I thought that was that was that was pretty cool. Now, uh, one of the things that now this is not me me saying that I disliked the performance, and I hope I'm not jumping too far down of this uh, to any other conversation. But one of the things that, um, even though this was a vehicle for Gene Wilder, and he wrote most of this, mm-hmm. and that he was the star of the film, mm-hmm. is that for me, um, he was okay. I like, felt- like, I mean, I liked what he did, but I liked the other characters much more. Peter Boyle as Frankenstein, oh, man. Mon- as the monster, 
fantastic Cloris Leachman. She was just fantastic. I, I, I liked a lot of the things that Igor did. Mm-hmm. Gene Wilder was Gene Wilder. He was. And you know, this is again reflecting back on uh, The Life Aquatic. My feelings about uh, Bill Murray were that, yeah, it was Bill Murray. It was what you would expect from Bill Murray. It was portions of characters I've seen before from Bill Murray. And in fact, Gene Wilder in Young Frankenstein was bits and pieces of characters that we've seen from him from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and other Gene Wilder movies, Blazing Saddles, for example. The thing is, at su- at that point in his career, of course it was bits and pieces because those were the things that were f- that were really working for him. Yeah. When he did a big dramatic part and he does that kind of half yell, I expected him to start, you know, screaming about like, "You lose! You lose! Yeah. You drank fizzy lifting drinks." I, I kind of half expected him to start into that line yeah. because it was at that moment the same character. But I didn't think of Gene Wilder's character as being the lead character after a while. I actually thought a lot more of Terry Garr and and Cloris Leachman and um, uh, Frankenstein's character. I, I, those guys, the, that's where kind of the movie went for me, where uh, Frankenstein himself, Dr. Frankenstein himself, Sort of became a peer to the a peer to them, not a lead uh, in yeah. front of them. That's where I was anyway. All right, some standout moments. Pick some standout moments from the movie for you. Yeah, we've talked about them before about uh, like just the joke that of uh, Igor biting the fox head mm-hmm. was just very funny. Mm-hmm. I think that and we we have. Brandy here tonight, as well as Ovaltine. Yes. We don't have any warm milk, which is okay because I'm lactose intolerant. Well, but I think Cloris Leachman's scene was probably the most pitch perfect joke in the film, where she was like, uh, "Time for bed." And well, would you care for some brandy? A warm brandy, brandy. No, mm, some warm milk. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Ovaltine. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, that was that was right on. Also, uh, the moment where it's the first time someone says Frau Blucher and the horse whinnies, <laughs> and then they say it again, and the horse whinnies, and they say it, and they're like five levels deep in the dungeon of the dungeon below the dungeon in the scientific room, and someone says Frau Blucher, and you hear off in the distance. <laughs> I thought that joke was great, and as a kid, I like many people fell into the trap that oh. Uh, someone said Blucher is like glue in German and or, or Yiddish, and so the horses are freaking out about glue. The joke is much funnier than that, but also much simpler than that. They were just harking back, and this goes back to what you said, they were very specifically picking things from classic horror movies. Yes, um, like Dracula would show up, and every time Dracula is like, oh, it's Dracula. Yeah, always, always, always. That's that that kind of sound effect or music that played when either the character walked onto the scene or their name was said. They were just harking back to that. Sure. That they someone apparently in some meeting said, "How about every time somebody says Frau Blucher, uh, the horse whinnies in the background." You know what I'm saying? So uh, yeah, and that that played out very well. That was a good standout moment. A standout moment for me was uh, a standout moment for me was the moment when. Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein switches from I am not my grandfather's grandson. I'm not following his footsteps. I study life and then switches and all of a sudden he's digging up a body in the graveyard and, yeah. you know, flipping the the, the the casket out of the ground. That moment when he flips around because he's read how I did it. 
by Victor von Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, that was a standout moment for me. I would say um, taking taking a step back from acting itself, mm-hmm. that probably the biggest standout moment for me was the design of the set and the uh, the attention to detail. And the movie, just like how it looked like the Universal Classic monster movies. Right. That um, that it was the way that they panned the shots, right. the way that they, they closed the iris or right, they right. faded to black. Faded to black between um, scenes. Or, or the way that they zoomed in on models rather than using a zoom lens yeah. that you'd use today, but that they actually moved the camera in on a lens. Right. Or on, on, the, on the thing. So on like, the trolley sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So like... Just that attention to detail was to was one of the that. things that I very much appreciated about that. So for me, you know, I, I grew up in a transition time, right? So I, I was born in the 60s. So by the time I'm watching movies that are monster movies, whether it's uh, whether it's Godzilla or King Kong, those 1970s versions of those, whether it's the monster movies that are even older than I was, so... Uh, 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 the werewolf movies, the Dracula movies, you know, those movies with Lon Chaney uh, out there. That's um, a, yeah. Playing those that's characters. That's a deep cut right Very there. deep, right? Yeah. Those movies, though, those were inspirational to me because at, as a kid, I wanted to be an actor. And so I decided at one point I had to learn movie makeup. Well, this is the guy, Lon Chaney and those, those monster movies. Yeah. That's who was like setting the bar. Yeah, Bella Lugosi, Bella Lugosi, which is where the monster, I think the monster, this monster is related to Bella mm-hmm. Lugosi. Yep, and and you know, even modern day actors, uh, Christopher Lo- uh, Lloyd, no. He was great in this film, Christopher <laughs> Lloyd, when he came out and he was like, Marty! <laughs> uh, shoot, the actor who played in the Star Wars movies, uh, uh, Darth, uh, gets his head cut off. Shoot, his first name's Christopher something. Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. Lee. Sorry. Oh, yeah. uh, you know he. Well, here he is in a Star Wars movies, uh, playing a character. But the guy was playing movies back with those old time yeah. names yeah, back yeah. in the day. Those were the those were the people that I looked up to as an actor, thinking I had to learn how to do that. So at Halloween, I had real life werewolf makeup on that I put on one hair at a time, gluing it onto my face. I did vampire makeup for my friends. I did those things thinking that's what I had to learn how to do. So for me, when I watched this movie, they didn't, other than the Frankenstein's monster, they didn't do too much of that kind of makeup. But what they did do, they did it to match. And they, you know, so do I like, you know, would I prefer to watch the old fashioned movies? Not anymore because the special effects were very much just makeup effects. But uh, but did I like the way that Mel Brooks replicated those styles in this movie? Yeah, because that was the point of this movie. Yeah, like I would say, like for me, in terms of do I like the old Universal classic right, monster right, right. movies, that I like them... Uh, I like them for historical purposes rather more than enjoyment purposes. Gotcha. That um, that I'll watch them, but I'm not like, oh, this is the best stuff in the whole world. Gotcha. Uh, but that said, I do appreciate the parody of those films and the attention to detail that went into crafting a parody of something that uh, was much older. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Let's uh, let's move along here. So. We talked about what makes a movie Pantheon. We've had several categories that you mentioned, acting, directing, cinematography, screenplay. 
special effects. Let's talk about those categories for Young Frankenstein. Acting and casting. How do you feel about that? I think it was an excellent ensemble cast. And much like Life Aquatic, that it had an excellent cast across the board of characters who were involved in the film. That you've got Gene Wilder, you've got Madeline Kahn... Terry Garr, Marty Feldman, you got Gene Hackman, Gene Hackman. who shows up as uncredited mm. as the as the, the blind Samaritan. You know what's funny? People say uncredited. I happen to go back and, and scroll through the end of it, and right at the end where it lists, I think ten actors, Gene Hackman's listed. Yeah, as the blind man. Oh, is he? He is. Yeah, but 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 even so, he's a very small part. You barely recognize the guy. If I knew immediately. Know, I heard the voice, and yeah, I was like, "That's, that's Gene, Gene Hackman." Hackman. <laughs> yeah, but back in the day, he was new, and I think he even like begged to be in the movie because he'd never done a horror movie. Before. No, no, comedy. Oh, I'm sorry, a comedy. He wanted to try comedy. I meant to say comedy. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, but anyway, yeah, and, and his part was very small. Uh, and and they walked away from him, you know, immediately. Uh, but even so. Uh, I think they cast it well. I think they could have maybe picked different people that have been in other Mel Brooks movies, but I think actually they did a great job with and who they picked. Any any qualms that I would have with acting are not about the acting itself, but about the direction of it. Um, like I had mentioned before, that Igor's uh, mugging to the camera, right. that wasn't my cup of tea, but that was a directorial choice, not his acting ability. He is funny. Yeah, he is funny. I, I wondered, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I wondered whether some of that was improv they left in, and some of it was Mel Brooks telling him to do, you know, that sort of thing. I don't know which. Well, we don't. We don't know. Actually, both Marty Feldman. Uh, and Gene Wilder are gone, so we can't even ask him yeah. about that. But how about directing, editing, and the choices the director made? I think that just other than the mugging to the camera. other than the mugging to the camera, I liked I, I liked the the choices that were made. It was intentional for Mel Brooks mm-hmm. and Gene Wilder, for that matter, mm-hmm. is that they chose a style of comedy, they stuck to it, and they did it uh, admirably for what they were looking what they were setting up to do. I think so too. Uh, cinematography, we've talked a lot about how this film was put together already. The choices they made with the camera angles, the black and white. The, I mean, I don't think there's really a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you know nitpicking we can do at this point. In, in my opinion, they almost boxed themselves in. They said, we're going to do a film that's this. And then they committed to it and did it. I, the Whether old, you liked the it old, or not. The only comments that I ever read on any boards about people who were making... Uh, having qualms about cinematography or the choices that they had with the uh, with setting up the film is that it was a little jarring where they they were trying to figure out what when when was this film set in right. the timeline in time. because that original scene looked like it was a 1970s medical room right uh, but then they were very much set in the old world. For Transylvania, which makes sense for Transylvania, however, but then they also have like brain depository door, which again right. flashes forward to kind of a 1970s feel. Right, right. Um, so like th- those were the only qualms that I that I saw people have with the cinematography itself. Yeah, I think you know for me the, the first few times, not the last time I watched it, the first few times I just accepted that well Transylvania is you know like gonna be back in time because they're just stuck frozen in time. You know, every Transylvania movie I've ever seen is all frozen in time. But the last time that I watched it, which was yesterday, actually, uh, I thought to myself, it's odd. Transylvania is in the 50s, but the whole beginning of the movie was clearly more modern times. Uh, at least 70s when the movie was filmed. <laughs> and he's he's Frankenstein's 
Dr. Frankenstein's... Great-grandson. Yeah, grandson or great-grandson. So it would have been like 40s to 70s time frame. So why is Transylvania still back, you know, in the 50s? But hey, you know, moving on. They made that choice. They wanted the film to look like yeah. those old films. Uh, so, screenplay. And the way the screenplay interacted with music. I liked it. The uh, I, I liked the story. The story's great. I mean, it's a standard story. Um, and uh, the... I liked the jokes. Other people might not like them, but I liked the jokes as I they were set. I can't think of a specific joke that I didn't like, to be honest with you. Maybe if I watched it one more time looking for a joke I didn't like, I can't think of one. Yeah. Oh, except, and I mentioned it already, using the, using the, the, the dude arm. as the battering ram to open the door. That's true. Sure. Uh, I didn't think of that as a joke. I thought of that as a, as a goofy... Uh, 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 slapstick, but yeah, you're right. One issue that people might have with the music is that the music is repetitive. Is that mm. it's not a broad score um, that, like, uh, as opposed to Life Aquatic that had a variety of songs in it, that this one had uh, a, a smaller selection of songs in it. But again, they boxed themselves in. They said, we're going to make a movie that's like this. Yeah. That plays homage to this. By and the, those movies didn't have by musical the way, scores. Fun fact, as I was watching the film, and they opened to the young Frankenstein, and they play dun, dun, dun. Right. I was like, that's from the dramatic chipmunk meme that that is floating around you know that five second video <laughs> yes. where the little chipmunk like flashes his head forward and then like they play that music i was like that's from young frankenstein i didn't i hadn't put those two things together so uh, one other little thing i meant to mention earlier is a little thing uh here um you know that little smart ass student oop another ass right there in our two of podcast. Them. we don't get any two. more asses no that's more three two. that's two. Oh, oh shoot <laughs> the little smart alecky student at the beginning yeah uh, that's at the school. He's the only other credited character that doesn't have, you know, ver- uh, d- that barely has any lines. Uh, that is played by a gentleman who is much better known as the voice of Brainy Smurf in every single Smurfs <laughs> cartoon and movie ever made, except for the live action one. Very fun. So, yeah, that's Brainy Smurf, by the way. Uh, Very if you didn't fun. know that, that's a little fun little tidbit for you right there. All right, uh, special effects. The only special effects I can remember, other than lightning and stuff like that, is the makeup on the monster. They also had a special effect when they were bringing the monster to life yeah. that they had crafted a oh, head of yes. Peter Boyle, who was the monster that was a plastic head, it was that a they had put lights in so that lit. you could see the, the teeth and the brain yes, and that sort of stuff. I remember that too. Um, but they were very very intentional with the choices that they made for old-timey lightning that harkened back to the Universal movies. Think about 1974. What other movies were made in that time frame that had amazing special effects? Either being made or were made in that same time frame. Are you thinking Star Wars? Star Trek, Star Wars, all those movies were made in that same general era. They had much better special effects available, but they made an intentional choice to use those specific ones. So I think, I mean, you know, kudos, they stuck to their guns. Uh, But that's the special effects they use. Alright. Um... As far as uh, just uh, so Matthew's write up itself, right. uh, just like to to kind of flash forward to the to talking about voting and that Matthew sort of Wade, stuff. the person Matthew who Wade. nominated Young Frankenstein. That is, uh, yeah. So he had made a lot of comments that we've chatted about already. Cinematography is gorgeous, and I'm sure that even people who didn't like the film 
as far as like it wasn't their cup of tea for comedy, that there there will be no qualms about the quality and beauty of the film cinematography itself. And he talked about that. But one of the things that he talked about, it's a perfect blend of smart and dumb humor, the serious and the absurd. And and I resonate with that comment that Matthew Wade had made, is that this is... um, this is there's there's movies that are that go on today that have the same sort of uh, quality to them. They're dumb movies, but they're made in a smart way. Right. For example, like Step Brothers. Uh, sure. Um, that is about two complete idiots, but the jokes that they set up are very intentional from a directorial purpose mm-hmm. about the absurdity that's going into. Uh, what's happening? Even yep. I had mentioned Hot Tub Time Machine right. uh, before. Yep, F- completely stupid movie, but yeah, ridiculous. Uh, but but a lot of um, a lot of the jokes end up uh, being presented in a way that uh, for me is a blend of smart and dumb together at the same time, which makes the, for me it makes the humor work. You know, something like Hot Tub Time Machine, they specifically pick uh, someone like Chevy Chase. To do his normal Chevy Chase thing, but they put it in a they put it in a certain part of that movie to make so that it played for the best. Like they didn't like highlight him as a main character. He's a sub character, but he moves the plot forward and he just does his normal Chevy Chase comedy right there, and it works. Yeah, it works. Even though you're like, ah, that's so Chevy Chase. Now, uh, as a kudo, like to throw some kudos out to Matthew Wade for his nomination, that it was extensively explicitly thoroughly written uh explaining all of it it's like you're supposed to write what 500 words and i think i I ran this through a word count and it had like a third 1343 words on there so uh he went over time in explaining his love for the movie he did and it's organized in you know in, in specific ways uh he broke it down into categories much like when we talk about it here in categories you know, he talks about the decisions they made, the production values, the music, uh, the screenwriting, um, and you know, set design, and even uh, the accolades that the movie got yeah. uh, when it came out. So, and he broke those things down in his write-up. You can find his write-up, by the way, on Facebook, along with the on, uh, on the, the original poll. posting for yeah. the poll yeah. that goes with this that uh, has the nomination and if you haven't read it i would encourage you to read it mm-hmm. uh, in full that it is it is carefully and passionately and lovingly crafted um and, and i just think that it, it hits on a lot of things that like like whether or not you agree with it it's very well argued i i, I think that's probably true all right, so let's talk about the council and how we think they're going to vote. Well, how as would we, you guess Matthew Wade would vote? <clears throat> I'm thinking he's going to say yes because so? he nominated. Oh, that's it. true. Yeah, that's um, true. Uh, I was going to say in terms of guessing what the council is going to say. Yeah, that uh, we have proven ourselves from last time to know nothing, like John oh. Snow. Oh God, no, John Snow are, knows nothing. We are idiots when it comes to understanding the council's morons. mind. You know, Matthew sure. Wade might just say no. After listening yeah. to us yeah. talk about the movie, he might be like, you know what? Come to yeah, think of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're going to say yes saying, for now. Yeah, for now. Who um, is his guest voter? It is uh, Michael Phillips? Uh, 
No, that was that. Yeah, Michael Phillips. Oh, oh, correction. Oh, from the, uh, the and the, I apologize. This is from the notes that I had <laughs> given what? you earlier that you had said Andrew was the guest voter. He I was the did. Andrew. He was the guest voter last, last time, time for the Life Aquatic. Michael yeah, Phillips Michael is Phillips voter this is time. The guest voter this so, time. Yeah. So sorry about that, Mister Phillips, sir. Uh, you are the official guest voter. I yeah. apologize. I feel so. Generally speaking. I feel like because and and we had we haven't mentioned this yet is that there was a conversation that they had a versus in Adventures in Videoland between Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein back in the day and the and two of the three people liked Young Frankenstein better than Blazing Saddles right. in terms of their votes. Right. Uh, Brad was the one who had was the holdout. And where he said he didn't like it. There's like 11 categories. He had given four of them to Young Frankenstein yeah. or something. And like but, 14 to Blazing Saddles. But he was the reason that at that table, at that time, that, the, that that conversation did not kick Young Frankenstein up. Because the way the Versus episodes work is if a movie wins the Versus episodes with a unanimous vote of everybody there, they can kick that movie up to Pantheon consideration. That's right. That's just the way the Versus episodes work. Uh, and in this case, uh, Brad was a holdout, and he actually said, nope. And so Young Frankenstein was not uh, automatically kicked up for nomination to Pantheon at that time. At, at that, that time. time. Because this movie is so universally appreciated, at least for its nostalgic value, mm. that I would guess that this is a yes vote by the council without going through individual members themselves. I, I'm thinking this might end up being much like Life Aquatic and 9 of 11, but again, we're so far off on our guesses. It, it, we could be totally wrong. It, 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 like This group, at this time, at this place, mm -hmm. could watch the movie, and it could have, because it's a council vote, yep. it could go the other way. It might. I feel like because the the that the, the um, that it is so universally appreciated as well as such a nostalgic movie as well as such a classic movie that uh, uh, and on the basis of many of the positive things that we have said so far this right. evening that it would go up for yes okay so and if you look at the Facebook poll right now go look at the poll of where it is. Young Frankenstein has 68 yeses, 10 I need to rewatches, only 3 no's. Yeah. It like this is the Facebook poll which is one of the 11 and Facebook poll is usually a yes. Oh, it is. But uh, this is an overwhelming yes even more so than in previous cases. In Life Aquatic the Facebook poll was very divided not evenly divided but very divided amongst yes uh, I still need to rewatch it and no. Um, where this one is just like, yes, not right. everybody, but almost everybody. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's a, that's a big swing, uh, a, a difference in Young Frankenstein versus The Life Aquatic, at least amongst the Facebook group. And, uh, Blazing Saddles is already in, uh, the Pantheon. And so right? That, no? Wait? No. No, it's not. Was it, it was nominated. I thought it was nominated at some point in time. You know what? If it wasn't, if it wasn't nominated, I'll bet you it ends up being nominated at some point in time in the future. However, if Blazing Saddles was nominated today, I think there'd be the Facebook poll, I suspect, would go yes. It would probably look a lot very similar to the conversation. That, even so. though they're different movies yeah. and they approach like they approach satire in different ways. There is. There's um, there's humor in in Young Frankenstein that might be of sexual in nature. Or uh, maybe maybe sexist in nature, 
Um, but in, in Blazing Saddles, there's both sex, sexual and racist humor. Yeah. Uh, poking the finger in the eye of the racist more so than being racist. Yeah, Don't get yeah. me wrong. But, um, so there's even more things to kind of deal with and unpack there in Blazing Saddles. However, uh, if you look at the votes that are on the Facebook poll, right now it's overwhelmingly yes. I mean, that's most likely going to be a yes. I'm thinking this isn't going to be a, 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 a seven and four, but more like an eight or nine uh, yes. Sure. Right. And, and by the way, and I was thinking about this earlier, is that for the sake of this Pantheon discussion, and mm-hmm. you and I, as we're having these conversations, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I was thinking about for myself, and, I, and you can agree or disagree on this, right. is that you and I are here to discuss the movie right. uh, in our own, uh, maybe our own opinions, but I, but I don't see our role as advocating for a film nope. to be in or not in. Not at all. Um, Not at all. That I just want to do, like, like I see our role as, as this Pantheon companion to do a deep dive on the movie, present our own opinions, but I'm, but, but my goal is not to advocate for or against. I agree. And, uh... I agree. I agree very much. And also, given the fact that we voted collectively against the last movie that yeah. made it in with a landslide, yeah. it's obvious that nobody cares about what we think. I think pretty much, <laughs> you know, of the three people that listen to this podcast, yeah. perhaps one does. All right, so, uh, right, so our votes. I'm going to vote, uh, and I think you can, by listening to this conversation, you already know, I'm going to vote yes, I, and I did. I just voted on the Facebook poll, yes. What are you going to vote, Diamond Doug? I'm going to vote yes. However, I'm also going to say I can understand why somebody would vote no. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not my opinion, mm-hmm. but I could understand why somebody would go a different direction. Right, right, right. Um, and, and even in our conversation, there were a couple of elements that didn't quite hit, but for me, it didn't It didn't not hit in such a way that it was so much that it would pull it back. Overwhelmed your yes. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, I didn't go into this with a yes. I, I remembered going into it thinking, okay, it's a black and white movie, it's an homage, there's going to be some older style comedy. But after I watched it and then rewatched it, I thought, I can't. I just can't vote no. Um, there's too much in there that, that I really enjoyed watching. And I, and I know if I went back and watched it again, and this is a comment that Matthew Wade made as well, if I went back and watched it again, I would find even more of the little things amongst the different characters uh, that I really, really enjoyed. So, um, I vote yes, and uh, I think I'd vote yes if I watched it five more times. Yeah. Just, it is what it is. All right, any final comments that you'd like to add before we close? You know, what little fun facts that I found sure. along the way is that uh, in the in the scene with Gene Hackman where he's pouring the uh, hot soup on Peter Boyle's onto the monster lap. onto his lap that Peter Boyle had to wear a special protective covering so that his crotch didn't get scalded because they actually were pouring they were hot, soup hot soup into the man's lap. That's right. Uh, we have not talked about the putting on the Ritz scene at all we tonight. We have not. There was, was a musical interlude with singing and dancing of putting on the Ritz. And it was an amazing scene and it's very funny and I watched it again and I laughed again and I also noted that in the process of making the film is that uh, that Mel Brooks had pushed back against Gene Wilder to say I don't think that this should be in it like it, I think it might draw away and Gene Wilder fought for it and then Mel Brooks was like okay well if you're going to fight for it we can leave it in we'll I just wanted to see if he, yeah. I wanted to see if you would fight for it and if you would fight for it 
then it's worth. And we'll and, do it. And now it's a classic scene. It's probably one of the most classic scenes from the movie. From the movie. Um, uh, the the not just the walk this way with Igor uh, when he first meets Igor, but also with Frau Blucher when she says, "Stay close to the candles. The steps can be treacherous. Not only are the steps very well lit, but the candles are not." <laughs> I'm just, you know, little things like that just make me giggle, and and I realize that it's kind of dumb humor, but it was it was right on. And by the way, watching it uh, when I rewatched it a few days ago, I thought to myself, "Those stairs don't have a railing." Good lord, someone's gonna break their damn neck. Uh oh, I said, damn. Yeah, yeah, that's it for our potty words. No tonight, more potty words tonight, Mister Gary Mack. Alrighty then. Okay, so uh, any other final thoughts you want to add? I'm sorry I didn't bring any drugs tonight. We've no, I've, I've brought in all of the cool drugs for the last time. I didn't bring any of, of that except for brandy. Yeah. Not that kind of movie. Yeah, yeah. I apologize for but that. But that is all right. Okay, everyone. As always, I hope everyone enjoyed tonight's conversation. Where can Videoland find you, Dr. Diamond Doug? Uh, mostly on the Facebook page. On Facebook. That's where you can find me. You can find Adventures in Video Videoland on Instagram. AdventuresInVideoLand.com, but the conversation, as always, begins and ends on the Facebooks. You've been listening to Criticism in its Finest Hour. Until next time, Videolanders, I think you're special. I, I can't say that. You were supposed to practice something. We, we have failed at ending this thing every single That's time. You so... were supposed to practice ending this thing, Mr. Uh, Gary Mack. I, I just... You know, I was thinking of like coming soon to a video. That's that's also not gonna work though. Uh, you know what? Take care of yourselves. Take care of your family, and as always, we love you, Frau Blucher. <laughs>